0: online at KFUO.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the book of Concord, our Lutheran confession of faith, with our cohort of Christ-Confessing Concordians Layman Peter Slayton, social media manager for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Peter Ill, who is the pastor of Trinity in Milstadt, Illinois. And I am your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and I'm the pastor of Emmanuel West Point in St. Paul's Wine Hill in Southern Illinois. And it is great to be back with you today as we continue to make our way through the book of Concord, but we're starting something new today.
1: Oh, no. Yes. No, no, we're Lutherans. We don't do new. Well, uh, I, it's, no. it's, it's really old though but there, oh. wait it's not actually that new because this was part of what we had been studying before the small articles before it became its own thing and we can talk about that in just a second i bet but it's not actually new it's still almost 500 years old and it's kind of an addendum to the small articles and that means we get to be talking about the treatise on the power and primacy of the pope which
0: Primacy or primacy. I'm, I'm still I'm gonna uncomfortable. I'm going to go with the British primacy. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but but you're absolutely right. So we've been covering the small called articles. We have covered the small called articles. Uh, we're, 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 we're moving on to another document in the Book of Concord, another one of those documents that we subscribe to in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate as a faithful confession of our Christian faith as taught in scripture, and that is the power and primacy of the Pope. All right. So go ahead and talk about this for for just you know very briefly. Uh, how is it maybe an addendum to the Smolchold articles? Maybe even cover just very briefly again what the Smolchold articles were and how that relates in here.
1: The called articles were written by Pastor Martin Luther in preparation for a uh, for a discussion that was supposed to take place at the city of called and with the Smolcholdic League uh, that. Uh, That never happened, that diet that had uh, been promised. And so what Luther wrote, the, uh, the small called articles, ended up not actually being discussed between the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics. But... Uh, it does serve as a uh, wonderful exposition of Martin Luther's own theology and the theology that the uh, other reformers have joined in with. It was signed by uh, very many of the confessors, including by uh, a fellow University of Wittenberg professor by the name of Philip Melanchthon. Now, Papa Melanchthon, Papa Melanchthon or Dr. Melanchthon. That's a
0: throwback to a few months ago (laughs) when we were covering the Apology, the Augsburg Confession. Uh,
1: Papa Melanchthon, or Dr. (laughs) Melanchthon, uh, was was never ordained as a pastor, but served as a lay professor, especially uh, in the Old Testament and in Hebrew and in some of the other uh, humanities. Uh, Teaching the students there at Wittenberg, but also writing a great deal of the Lutheran confessions, including the Augsburg Confession and the apology or the defense of the Augsburg Confession. And he writes here about the power and primacy or primacy of the Pope. Weirdos. and. uh, in doing so, his goal is to, to really focus and double down on this idea that uh, the pastoral office is a gift given by God, and this is something for the church to speak about, and any human or secular or ecclesiastical authority claimed by the pope— uh, does not come by divine right, it's not an automatic gift of God, uh, is the argument that he's making. When he wrote this for the same uh, get-together at Small Called, he ended up This ended up being first included in with the small called articles and then later because there's a different author. Luther wrote the small called articles. Melanchthon wrote the treatise on the power and primacy of the pope. So they've been separated now, but they still are, are traveling companions and serve to reinforce one another.
0: I like that traveling companions. I'm going to pick up on that. So so another point to make in terms of a traveling companion here then, too, is, is that and we covered this back in the small called articles a few weeks ago i i i had it number of weeks ago when that was but now i'm forgetting when that was but uh, uh when we covered article 10 ordination in the call we were even referencing in that show uh, i had uh, guest pastor uh, uh micah bauer on that show and he was referencing several things in the power and primacy of the pope um, in terms of th- that's kind of a longer exposition on the point that is made in Article ten on ordination in the call in the small called article. So that's another traveling companion of of, you know, what what is covered in article well, I should say Part three, Article 10 of the small called articles, because it's a three parter thing. Uh, but uh, so, so part three, Article 10, Ordination of the Call. Uh, w- we cover that a lot more in depth here in the power and primacy of the Pope. See, now you got me going back and forth on which way to pronounce it. Um, They're
1: both equally valid, Pastor
0: I'm g- Smith. I'm going to get gonna the say
2: primacy like a normal person.
0: All right. So go ahead and uh, talk about it then.
2: <laughs> well, as, as I was looking through this like you would mentioned, the one thing that struck me was, okay, these are written in the same year. And that, I found that interesting because I, I didn't know that. And then looking a little bit deeper, oh, they're written for the same thing. So it's kind of like you got Luther over in his room writing out his small called articles. And meanwhile, next door, here's everybody else putting together this document um, to put it together. It's interesting. This one's only 10 pages long, well, 12-ish. Um, so it's the shortest one that we've dealt with because I think that's even shorter than the small catechism, isn't it? I haven't looked at the Enchiridion, just that part alone, but it's... Well, don't forget the creeds. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yes. The, the creeds that's... are and part of are the Book critical. of Concord, yes, too. They're very a... critical. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is interesting. We, we've got 12 pages. It's a very short one to run through, and it pretty much sticks with just this one topic as we go through it.
0: And we might be able to cover it in less than a year. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows?
2: Don't get ahead of yourself, now, Pastor <laughs> Smith. Yeah. This
1: this also comes up, though, in your in, in our not recurring segment, uh, Lutheran confessions in the news, uh, because this particular confession was uh, brought up several years ago in the United States during a presidential election when uh, one of the, I believe it was a vice presidential candidate, had been raised as a Lutheran, and uh, they asked her. Uh, about how her church taught that she that the uh, office of the papacy was the antichrist and it led to all kinds of questions they came up uh, for me in the parish that I was serving uh, and perhaps they've come up for other places too about uh, the role of the Roman Catholic papacy in terms of church authority and how we as uh, Lutherans, how we as Christians speak about that based on scripture, because once again, we're not making up things here. We are simply confessing what scripture says and relating to what other church churches and church bodies are saying. We want it to be really clear. We're not making up stuff. We're saying what the Bible says in this.
0: And, 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 by that very nature, then, to also pointing out the errors that potentially lead us away from faith in Christ, um, as, as Scripture would encourage us to do, and so yeah, when when we've covered several times that there's quote unquote kind of maybe some fighting words, um, you know, or, or some some tough words to handle anyway, uh, we can we can at least say that uh, it, it it does you know it gets pretty scandalous for some folks, um, but it's really important that we have these these faithful confessions. Uh, before I get to Layman Slayton, who you know, just keeps raising his hand at me like he wants to talk about something. So, so don't lose your thought. But, but you you present an interesting thought here. Just on a side note, of segments on the show, we, we might have to start doing this. Um, I like that as a segment: Lutheran, Lutheran confessions, confessions in the, the news. news. That, I that can come be up with
1: a, about one.
0: That should be a legitimate. I mean, we could also have the segment of you know Pastor Sean's soapbox. Um, You know, I've gotten on my soapbox a few times. I can uh,
1: have walkabouts with Walther. Walkabouts Ooh, I with Walther. Something with Walther. I like yeah. that.
0: I like that. Yeah. There's so many, so many options Our here. Poor listeners. Yeah. <laughs> All five of them. I think we lost just one of them right oh, there. Oh no! Um, we went on a walkabout on his own. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's it. I'm done. All walk-about.
0: right. Layman Slayton, bring us back here.
2: Well, talking about the, the the recurring segment, I think that's actually one of the problems with this particular article is when the news when the when the media outlets brought this up now pastor ill you you said we talk about the office of the Pope as the Antichrist, which is what this article says, what this document says, but the news didn't phrase it that way, and that's actually part of the problem because when we talk about this, when we get to that section, everybody talks about, well, you believe the Pope, the current one, and it's not benedict, is it
1: I can't. It was then. Now it's uh, Pope Francis.
2: Yeah, Pope Francis. Okay, um, you know, Pope Francis himself.
0: By the way, just as a point of order, uh, back in the small called Articles, Part Three, Article Four on the papacy. That's where he specifically listed as the Antichrist. Yeah. Um, right. And I, so
2: I, I think yeah. we, we, but we need to make that distinction: is that we're not necessarily automatically saying, "Look, Pope Francis, the the one who is the Pope right now, is." the antichrist we we could potentially say something like that and have it be accurate but that's not necessarily what we're talking about here and i think that's why this document is actually important because it talks about as you said here's what the office of the pastor actually is and now we're going to talk about how this office has been abused and how authority structures have been created around this office that have also piled on the abuse of that office with additional abuses of that authority. And so it is helpful for us to remind our listeners, to remind ourselves that the office that the Roman Catholic Church has, that it defines as the Pope and the authority given to that office, regardless of who's in that office, is actually the main problem that we're dealing with. And it seems like a, a weaselly little distinction for us to make, because sometimes we might make that distinction in order to, well, no, you can, don't be that mad at us. You know, we're still okay because we're talking about the office of the Pope, not the Pope himself. I, I understand that it can come across that way sometimes, but that's we're not trying to do that. We are actually just trying to make sure we're being clear about what it is we're actually talking about, because we don't want to be accused of saying something we're not actually saying.
0: And I I also want to make the distinction, which we made in part three, article four on the papacy and the small called articles. You can go back in the archives and and listen to that on demand. But we 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 are very clear that we say is an antichrist, not the antichrist. Uh, And there's a distinction to be made there. Um, And we talked about what antichrist means. Right. Which is anything that stands against Christ. Uh, And so this is those errors that can lead you away from Christ right and I like the way that you've really very simply broken this down for us and saying we're talking about the office of the pastor, right? The office of holy ministry. This is what it is. So we're defining what scripture defines for us is that office. And then these are the abuses of that office, whether that's in the office of the papacy. It can also be in terms of the the office of priest in, in Roman Catholic terms, which we we can use that term as well, although we generally don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, those abuses can be there in these various offices. And we're just kind of using the um, for lack of a better term, the, the highest office in the Roman Catholic Church at the time as kind of our, our case study of, of, you know, really gross abuses because of how it influences the rest of the church in that. I, I think that's a really good summary yeah, I, to, to kind of help help us understand a, this. A case
2: here. can be made that the reason we're talking about the office of the Pope specifically is because many of the abuses flow from there directly. The authority that gets wrongly invested in that office Creates abuses and wrongful authorities vested in the offices below it as well. It's kind of a a trickle down effect that comes from it. So that. Just
0: well, and, and as is going to be specifically highlighted in here, so I don't want to give too much away yeah. and, and, and take us too far down uh, this kind of conversation, but, you know, even just the way that they define it, right. You know, when, when you have the, the Pope speaking ex cathedra from his, his Pope's chair, uh, you know, the Bishop's seat. Um, that uh, is
1: the Latin word for chair,
0: right? Yeah. And the name of my winery and on wine Hill is uh cathedral winery, you know, That's so right. I, I kind of have some fun with this, um, but, uh, but no, you know, when, when he speaks, from, you know, it's all about authority of the church for them. And, and when he speaks from that chair that that authority is binding and so forth, even so much so that it, it goes over scripture. That's a really dangerous error. Right. And so we need we need to have those conversations. All that will get flushed out. But I, I like the way that you kind of simply broke that down for us, uh, you know, and it comes from a layman. And so it's even more valuable, right?
1: (laughs) Another piece of really important intro matter for us uh, to think about as we're getting into this particular document is some of our hearers might be uh, listening and saying, no, wait a minute. The Roman Catholic Church was saying these things 500 years ago. Uh, This is ancient history, or at least a long time ago history. Uh, Perhaps guys, you need to be a little kinder to the Roman Catholic Church today. Maybe maybe treat this as a historical document, but maybe this is not still true for you in the right here and right now. Uh, but the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, it is uh, a little more gently stated and a little more winsome, but the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church regarding the office of the papacy has not changed in the roughly 500 years that go back to the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope. And so what we continue to confess is what you guys continue to say is still not in line with scripture. And we still have a problem with this. Uh, So, so at a certain level, we are where we were roughly 500 years ago.
0: And now for another segment of Lutheran Confessions in the news. Oh, because because we can we're do up to this two Two in one show. Wow! Right? We just next named we're it today, need theme music. and now we got it. We're not going to
2: have anything for the next show. That's <laughs> it. We're using them
1: all up now.
0: But but to this point, I, I like what you bring out here. You know, it's it's a little more. What did you say? Toned down or something like that today.
1: Gentler and more winsome.
0: I yeah, <laughs> um, that was so How angelic of you. Of you. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah. They the, stole it out of
1: the editor's introduction in the book. Oh, good nice! Job.
0: Um, but but I I find this interesting, right? At uh, with our current uh, pope, our I'm not in the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> the, <current Pope. laughs> the the current pope, Pope Francis, right? Um, I, I find it interesting, and you see this in the news, you know. So it's not directly Lutheran confessions in the news, but I think it it it. it emb- it plays in here, right? And so you see in the news that there are a lot of faithful priests and so forth who are getting pretty upset at different times with Pope Francis, essentially undoing church doctrine, decided church doctrine with some pronouncements that he has made, especially in relation to uh, homosexuality and marriage and, and those those sorts Even of issues. Even the nature of
2: salvation itself, yeah, who can be saved, He's right. made some statements on that. Yeah,
0: and, and, and you have the Catholics kind of saying, now hang on a minute here, because there's a lot of authority invested in your office and you're undoing settled church doctrine here, and it be, you know, so for me, as a Lutheran, right, you know, I kind of look at this as a Lutheran Confessions in the News, and I say, isn't that interesting, that you, you, you recognize that this problem does still exist in your church body, mm-hmm. and so maybe, again, we need to get back to the conversation of what is the right office of the pastor, which is always flowing forth from a faithful confession of God's word, not our human opinion, not changing times, not not any authority vested in a human being, but the authority that comes to us from God and his almighty word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when we have that as our right definition, uh, th- then we don't have these other issues as well where we all of a sudden are changing God's word and official church doctrine and and things like that. And to be clear, I don't know for sure that he has officially changed church church doctrine no
2: that's actually part of the
0: problem right yeah it, it's, it's kind of this gray area for but yeah. the
1: sake of full disclosure uh the the last two uh statements from the office of the papacy that have been ex cathedra and and by roman catholic uh, holding would therefore be infallible were in 1950 and then before that in 1870 so pope francis and think about the four popes before him made no ex cathedra statements and have not officially changed church doctrine but some of the things that they are saying are in conflict with things that the Roman Catholic Church has historically said and we'll leave that to another podcast to uh, filter all the way through
0: right and (laughs) and, and that is a helpful point and and that kind of gets into the gray area that I was talking about but yet there is still this authority in the office of the papacy itself whether or not he's speaking ex cathedra which hasn't happened in a while, the, the speaks yeah. to the
2: power. If we're talking about mm-hmm, the, the mm-hmm. treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope, notice how I pronounced that correctly. Primacy, uh, right? Right. Yeah. the The power here, there, there. Even, even if that power doesn't actually fully exist, there is clearly a perception that it does. From the Roman Catholics themselves, from the the world at large, the media that is watching everything that he says, there is most definitely a perception that when the Pope speaks. He has power in his words to actually say, this is how things are. And so that right there is evidence that, like you said, this is still a concern for us today. This is the issues that we will talk about in this treatise still remain. And if you question whether they remain, just look at what happens in the media every time the Pope actually makes some any sort of statement. Even, like you've pointed out, Pastor Hill, it hasn't been ex cathedra By any means, he's just making statements on behalf of the church and the perceived power. It's so great that everybody's freaking out. It's like, whoa, hold on. He's changing everything.
0: That's what makes me really thankful, not only for our structure in the Lutheran Church and especially the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but, you know, Thinking of our current president, uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Matthew Harrison, right? I I bet there are times where he's maybe a little envious. I mean, I would be, even as a pastor. Like, just recognizing the authority that priests have in the Roman Catholic Church. As a pastor in the Lutheran Church, sometimes I get a little envious, and it's like, why won't my people give me that? You know, kind (laughs) of listening ear. But uh, you know, so but but yet when we have a right understanding of what what is your office and, and I'm thankful for faithful people leading our church body like, um, uh, president Harrison and so forth that, and, and, and our pastors in our churches that that don't just go to the authority because it can be really dangerous, especially for our hearers, if that authority is vested in that sense, but our authority is only from the word. and And so I'm thinking back that even, you know just just a little over a month ago now um Pastor Noel and I were down at the uh, Senate convention in Tampa, Florida, and you could tell that there were times where maybe President Harrison was like, you know, oh, if only I had the authority, like the poet. Um, I'm not saying that. I can't read his mind. I don't know what he was actually thinking. But yet the the way that he leads with God's word and let God's word form and shape us, and it has the authority and it guides our conversation and rebuke and, and, and those sorts of things when there's error and so forth, rebuke, um, that, uh, you know, that that that's the that's the goal. That's what we really want, um, because when there's too much authority vested in the Pope, it just, yeah, it gets really messy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, I, I think maybe we've done enough setup here, um, or, or is there still more that we need to get out? Okay. Let's get to reading. All right. We'll go ahead and read, and then maybe we'll have to take a break here. I don't know, um, but... Uh, Let's at least get some reading in. So, so we are reading from the Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord, uh, available to you from Concordia Publishing House, and uh, is is the uh, the edition that we use here on this show. And uh, we are on the power and primacy, of the Pope.
2: I've been outvoted.
0: <laughs> the Roman Pontiff claims for himself that he is supreme above all bishops and pastors by divine right. Okay, I'm sorry. Can we stop and talk? Yeah, this is really stop important. Maybe we should That's take That's even what we were just first. talking about with that, with that authority. We should probably take the break. No, no, we, no? we got okay. at least five minutes or so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, let, let's just talk about this first line here. Go ahead, Pastor O. Uh,
1: so the the really big claim that needs to be grappled with first is uh, the three words, by divine right. And this is something that, that Melanchthon went back and forth on quite a bit in his own conversations about uh, the power of the pope and, and of the papal office, uh, saying, you know, if the church got together and agreed that we'd let the, the guy who's bishop in Rome, uh, we'd let him drive for a little bit, that would be OK. The real problem comes in, Melanchthon argues, is that he says it is uh, God's will. And divine right that the bishop of the city of Rome is the head bishop and all of the other bishops are to listen to him and all of the priests and all of the deacons and all of the congregations are to listen to him because there is a uh, God-given place of importance for the church in Rome Uh, I don't know of any scripture passage that teaches this uh, and I'll even go so far as to say there's not a scripture passage that teaches this Uh, there is Tradition that says that Peter became the bishop at Rome, and since Peter was the spokesperson for the apostles and in the early church, therefore that's how it works.
0: And a misunderstanding of Jesus saying, upon this rock I will build my church, thinking that references Peter as the person versus, yeah.
1: Sure, and, and so I, without, without tracking all of those down right now, we'll have a chance to get to that when we get to the testimony of scripture part of, of this document. But by divine right is a claim that is made that is, uh, really controversial. And by saying God put the Roman Bishop in charge of all the other bishops and all the priests and all the deacons and all the congregations, we say, Whoa, that's a really big claim. The, uh, the other thing to make note of is the fact that it says that the, the pontiff uh, pontiff, by the way, is just another word for, for Pope, uh, says that he is supreme above all bishops and pastors and that authority that is claimed for the office of the papacy is not just in uh, spiritual matters or ecclesiastical matters that also has to do with property with who goes where with who becomes a priest and who does not become a priest and so all authority all churchly authority uh, which also has a, a physical component to it ultimately is controlled through the office of the papacy and so uh he is above everybody and he is the earthly head honcho of the roman catholic church uh and that's the claim that the office of the papacy makes and that's the claim that that uh, as melanchthon writes here we see you uh office of the papacy making these claims and so we're we're not saying anything new we're not we're not throwing you under the bus as far as what you're saying we're all on the same page this is what we see you saying this is what your writings say you're saying there's not a disagreement on on what is being said the validity of it and the helpfulness of it and how it aligns with scripture that we're going to argue with and about
0: so much to get onto here. We got to get to a break, but I, I think there's an interesting back and forth in terms of uh, claims for himself versus by divine right is is what he claims. So I, I think Papa Melanchthon has a little backhand here, which is another <laughs> segment for the I, show. By I the way, I think he has his but, tongue
1: uh, stuck deeply in his <laughs> cheek. Oh, look, more
0: snark. But uh, but uh, something I want to know more about this divine right thing. But you're gonna have to hold on and come right back after break for that.
2: On this Tuesday, September 24th, 2019, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsor, Carolyn Mano of Florissant, Missouri. Carolyn made a contribution to KFUO Radio in loving memory of her parents, Vernon and Mildred Bachman of Farrar, Missouri. Tomorrow, on September 25th, they would have been married for 70 years. Carolyn is thankful for the blessing that they were to her in her
1: life. Thank you, Carolyn Mano, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsor.
0: And welcome back to Concord Matters with layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Peter Ill, myself, Pastor Sean Smith as your host. And we are continuing to talk about here today the power and primacy of the Pope, uh, starting a new document as we go through the Book of Concord here, although we talked about possibly an addendum to the Small called articles. We made it through one line. Except that we didn't make it through because I still have questions. <laughs> there's a, there's about a sentence this. and
1: a period. I'm going to argue we made it almost through a sentence so far.
0: Okay, but on that sentence then. So, so let me read it again. So, just back in our our minds after that you know break here. So the Roman Pontiff claims for himself that he is the supreme above all bishops and pastors by divine right, and and I think we've highlighted almost every word in in the sentence at this point. It, it, it's it's a it's a it's a Profound statement, I think.
1: It's dense.
0: Dense, that's better than profound. Um, but yeah, so he claims for himself, but yet he claims for himself that it's by divine right, which which raises a question for me that I wanted to, I wanted to bring up, but you wanted to make two points about it, and and I let you have that, uh, and then we had break. But so by divine right, and we talked about that. This is really talking about the office of pastor. So are we saying that the office of pastor is not divinely instituted
1: the office of the ministry or the office of of pastor is divinely instituted that's not to say though that those who hold the office hold it by divine right and so this idea of when you hold an office you hold it by divine right that means you are unquestionable Uh, pastors are not unquestionable you should in fact question your pastor Uh, st paul talks about how uh, luke writes about how the christians at the city of berea they would hear paul speak and then they would go and examine the scriptures and uh, question paul based on the scriptures about this and so our pastors aren't pastors by divine right if they speak contrary to scripture then they should either repent or stop being pastors
2: I, I think this this is another example where that uh, kind of trickling from the top down happens. Uh, we've talked in the past a little bit about the idea of sacerdotalism. We're not talking about
0: economics. We're talking about church.
2: I know. Yeah, trickle down economics. It yeah, still yeah. works. It's a church economics. <laughs> Hold on. There's a big
1: word coming. I'm really excited.
2: Sacerdotalism. Mm. What's that? Okay. My layman's definition of that is the idea that the pastor— or the priest if we're talking roman catholic has upon ordination receives a a special gifting of spiritual powers that enables them to forgive sins that their nature in a sense actually kind of changes they are separate from other normal human beings now so that when they pronounce absolution when they perform a baptism when they consecrate the elements they actually have a new divine power within them that allows them to do that. Um, They're kind of like a special class of human being.
1: Roman Catholic tradition refers to that as the indelible character.
2: Well, indelible character is actually part of that, I think. Sacerdotalism includes indelible Mm -hmm. character. The idea that their character is unquestionable now at this point as well. I mean, look how, oh man. So the whole controversy we've had about, you know, sexual controversies, has really damaged that part of their doctrine, but you look. You're at, talking about with the priests, with the priests, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but look at this trickle down. So the po- the po- the pontiff, the pope, says, "I have divine right." Now you can see at the the re- the priestly level at the parish level how, with the doctrine of sacerdotalism, that has trickled down to, and also these priests have a divine right, have a divine power that nobody else has. It sets them up as a second second class of individuals, higher class, not second class, but a higher class of individuals. Uh, I think it's just interesting to see as we talk through all these different things, this problem isn't just with the Pope himself. Here's how it actually works itself out in your day-to-day life, in your parish as a Christian, how this actually comes to you and impacts your life as a Christian in your congregation.
0: Time for a walkabout with Walter. (laughs) Segment of the show, so 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 this is addressed somewhat in in a work that he had on church and ministry, right? And and we recognize that the office of ministry, which we're, we're talking about here, um, comes out of the priesthood of all believers, even while it is instituted by Christ Himself for the church to have, right? And and so we we have this tension, right? And 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 I like what you highlight here is that there's this this notion in the, the, the top down trickle down, whatever kind of <laughs> idea you want to work with there that, you know, that by divine right, this changes my nature and things like that. And and that's where my authority comes from. That's where, um, you know, the, the, the working of things comes from the person himself, right. And, and that's where the person himself is, is, you know, um, the focus when it comes to the 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 person of the pope right on their end of things and yet what we're saying is what scripture actually presents to us is that we have the priest of all believers the gathering together of the church right and, and that the authority for the church comes from the word itself and the word itself gives us the office of pastor and when the pastor preaches and proclaims that word it's it's the authority working right and it's not it it just completely removes, in a sense, the the individual person from from mucking things up. So that when your pastor falls into sin and so forth, right? You know, it doesn't undo any absolution that you received. It doesn't undo any assurance that you have that the sacraments and the word proclaimed to you um, are not effective because we're not caught up in the Lutheran Church with the person but the sacerdotalism that plays out um you know that 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 creates a real burden of conscience but then coming back to especially here in terms of you know um My my original question before we got on a walkabout here—that's a good term for it, you know—because we kind (laughs) of walk around a conversation before we come back, but uh, or at least I do. Um, But uh, you know, so my original question then was, you know, so is this saying that the office of pastor, if that's what we're really talking about, just using the pope. You know, as a specific here, um, is not divinely instituted. I, I like what you highlight there for us is that you know what what they are saying here is is that they they are talking about a specific person in a specific office instead of talking broadly about what Christ has given His church for. For our benefit
1: and there's more to come on on this particular topic in just a couple of paragraphs absolutely uh, hopefully we're going to get there if not today then next week because there's some really good things to be said about that uh, coming up in just just a little bit
0: all right are we done with that walkabout i think so okay uh let's push forward then get get a little yeah, more my in.
2: other uh, thoughts will fit when we push forward so let's keep going for, for the
1: <laughs> record uh Dr. Melanchthon lays out three claims that the Roman Catholic Church is making and these, and that the Office of the Papacy is making. So we just heard big idea number one. So we're about to jump into big idea number two, just so you can uh, take score at home here. Uh, that was number one. Here comes number two.
0: It, it's a rhetorical structure that he's using. It here. is. Yeah, yeah. All right. So second, now I'm picking up paragraph two and it's point two. He adds that by divine right, he has both swords, that is, the authority also to enthrone and depose kings, regulate secular dominions, and such. Do we want to pause, talk about that?
1: I I think we need to grapple with the history for just a minute. (laughs) Do that. Uh, Because the the Pope would actually crown the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, and the Pope would— at various times, uh, come into conflict with Kings of nations. And in fact, he would sometimes rule in medieval history on who should be the King, or if a King should abdicate or be removed or be deposed. And he would, he would rule over not just churchly matters, but even, uh, politics outside of the church.
2: I think one family name that comes to mind, which I think is actually what we're talking about here, is the Medicis uh, back in, in Italian history. And this this family was very much involved in the churchly politics and the secular politics at the same time, like their, their workings. And I know there's books about this, there's articles, there's movies, there's, there's, there's any number of things out there, um, historical accounts and entertaining versions of it as well. Um, just talking about the the intrigue and the deception and the backstabbing and all the the political nastiness that actually came along with this kind of maneuvering as a result of this doctrine right here, that it's the Pope's right. Well, once again, trickle that down. Well, then it's also the right of the cardinals and the archbishop and the bishop and whatever that structure is. That's also their right in the areas in which they are serving. And so you had political maneuvering within families to get their people into cardinal positions and to get them into the bishop positions of authority so that they could manage trade, they could manage political alliances, all these other things that came along with it. And you, you look at the how how we talk about the church, and it's like, wait a minute, or how scripture talks about the church. This is night and day difference with with what scripture, how Paul tells us the church how acts records the church acting how paul teaches the church to act and then you see this side of it you're like wait a minute this is totally different (laughs) this isn't what paul is telling us the church should be at all
0: yeah and and you even see some really not beneficial things especially for the church and the faithful proclamation of the gospel um play out in this as you've highlighted here that um and uh A guest pastor that we've had on the show a couple of times, Pastor Jaime Garcia, I know has specifically highlighted this not too long ago uh, in, in connection with something we were talking about with the small cult articles that you start even seeing secular... Uh, folks appointed to positions of being an archbishop and things like that, and it's uh, like wh- I where- I
2: remember him yeah. talking about that yeah, yeah where's
0: the theological yeah. training <laughs> in yeah. preparation for this office in the church and and so you get this 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 co-mingling and messing up of you know um well, that's how false doctrine gets proclaimed then, too. If you if you if you're not really grounded there, and you're more concerned with secular authority and power and things of that nature, it just creates a mess. And it certainly had happened in history. And, and maybe as as host of the show, I, I should probably be a little more up on my history before I bring up things that I'm not entirely sure about. But I'm I'm almost certain. Um, Maybe maybe someone can correct me on this and send in a message to the show or lovingly rebuke me. But uh, I, I believe Exhort
2: you, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I believe that there's even some tension between Charles at the time of the Reformation between Charles and, and the Pope
1: charles the holy roman emperor
0: right the is. holy roman emperor i believe that there's some tension going on there at the time yeah, there, too. there
2: were power struggles going on between the and, two and yeah. another yes. really
1: good case study is uh for somebody else with who has a, kind of a common name and a name that'll be familiar to most of most if not all of our listeners and that is henry the eighth uh the one the one with the six wives uh, not at the same time of england In, yeah of yeah. england uh who was himself uh, pretty decent theologian and considered himself a, a decent theological mind who actually
0: proclaimed defender of the faith. I actually. was just going to say, he was wasn't he the one who got defender that title? Of the faith
1: yeah. And he by the wrote, Pope, by the Pope. Yeah. And he wrote a treatise against Martin Luther, a theological treatise in Latin. And then a few years later uh, was in need of a, a papal annulment to his marriage uh, to dismiss his wife and, and get remarried. And the Pope wouldn't grant it to him. And, and I believe, if my history is not mistaken, excommunicated him. And at that point, Henry VIII uh, founded the, the Episcopal Church, or the Church of England, and uh, the rest is, is history. And so we see the interplay of, of secular politics and uh, churchly politics, and through all of that, not a lot of scripture necessarily being discussed but a lot of power and a lot of authority going back and forth between uh, the office of the papacy and the king of england
0: and to most of our listeners this may sound quite strange because we don't really quite live in those those times in this age. Although probably where you see it most notably is actually in the faith of Islam, right? I mean, they, they're constantly mixing uh, the, the two kingdoms, the two realms in this sense well, of-
2: Well, in their theology, they don't have two kingdoms, they exactly, just one. Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Right. But I mean, that's where in our contemporary world today, we tend to see this most notably play out. However, I'm not willing to say that it's not still present in, right. in terms of Christianity, especially here in America. There's there's this whole notion of trying to, you know, uh, that we, we have to be a Christian nation and that, uh, you know, uh, you know, who, you know, who gets in as president has to receive certain endorsements from certain church bodies. And and there's a lot of concern about the secular secular realm um, from from Christians. And and it's not to say that we're in, Unconcerned with the secular realm, right? It has its place and so forth. But whenever you start mixing and mingling these realms, that's where we get into a real mess. And and when it's, you know, the level at the where it was at the time of the Reformation and leading up to that, and for for a good chunk of that early history there, uh, in the Middle Ages and so forth, is that it it was completely mingled so much so that it, it highlighted a second point number number two here
1: the church's responsibility is to proclaim jesus christ as the word made flesh who suffered and died and rose again who takes political office who the king or the president or any other leader is this impacts the church on a human level i suppose but this is not what's going to make the church rise and fall the only thing that the church is ultimately concerned about is Jesus Christ, her Lord. And that's going to be the critique that Dr. Melanchthon is going to bring against the Roman Catholic church and against the office of the papacy.
0: Well said. All right. We're 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 going to dig much deeper into all of these points. We're just laying the foundation and see how much we have to talk about here already. <laughs> well, let's get into the third point, which is paragraph three, conveniently enough. Third, he says that to believe this is necessary for salvation. For these reasons, the Roman bishop calls himself and boasts that he is the vicar of Christ on earth. All right, go ahead, Pastor. Eli. I know you want to define, uh, divine.
1: <laughs> no, not define, De- well,
0: fun, Fun Uh-oh. slip there, right? Uh, not divine, define for us, what what vicar is, and what's he saying here?
1: The word vicar comes from the Latin word that we also use for vicarious, and it means stand-in. Now, in our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod practice, we refer to a uh, a pastoral student in training uh, during a year-long internship as vicar. Uh, He is the stand-in for his pastor and will do some things by his pastor's authority, especially preaching and uh, leading services and so on. However, when the Roman Catholic uh, Pope refers to himself as the vicar of Christ, he is saying he's not standing in for a pastor as a pastoral student, but he is standing in for Jesus to the entire church. And so he is the uh, the go-between between jesus and jesus's church uh, or if you think about it like uh, like a bow tie you know on the one side you have uh, it starts really wide it narrows down to a point and then it broadens out again on the other side it would be jesus and the pope kind of at the center of the bow tie connecting what god has to say to his people it goes through jesus to the pope to the church and that is a really dangerous thing to go from saying that he is the stand-in for Jesus to saying, you have to believe that he's the stand-in for Jesus in order to be saved. That means that your faith, according to the Roman Catholic Pope, needs to go through the office of the papacy and outside of the office of the papacy, there's not any confidence in salvation and there's not any confidence in Christ's work for you. And that is really, really scary.
0: 25 Concord points to you for mentioning a bow tie on the show and Concord points mean for nothing, uh, but uh, <laughs> a little more seriously here. Uh, I, I like what you present there, you know, with that image of the bow tie and, you know, kind of, you know, it, through Christ to the Pope and then to the Pope, to the church and so forth. And, 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 and defining for us that the vicar vicarious standing in for Christ, you can then already begin to see what we have already talked about of, of, when we talk about an antichrist right well if you're gonna put yourself in the place of standing in the place of christ especially to the whole church on earth right um then when you are in error and you're um against christ and what he has surely revealed in his word well then what else can you call them but an antichrist right Uh, or am i just taking that too far
1: I don't think so. Scripture says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the only way to the Father. Scripture doesn't say anything about any particular earthly person in Rome or otherwise who is the, the go-between between Jesus and his church. In fact, uh, it talks about Jesus being the head of the church and the church being made up of his body. And, and in not fact, a go Hebrews
0: says he is the one mediator right exactly. between us and God. And so, yeah, uh, to, to say that we need another intermediary other than Christ stands directly against his word. Right. So what what other choice do we have then to, to say, no, you're not a vicar of Christ. You're an antichrist. Right. I yeah, I just think that that kind of re- really makes the point and, quite clear. And
1: while part of me would love to walk that back. There's no, way to, there's no way to make that more gentle. Uh, no, no person should put themselves in the place of Christ. That is a very dangerous place to be, and it's a very dangerous way to teach.
0: Yeah, and, and it actually makes me think of our district president Timothy Shar. One of one of my favorite sayings of his, uh, that he he will often lovingly remind Christians because we constantly look for someone else in the place of Christ. Sometimes we do it with pastors or the right congregation or the right, you know, whatever in our lives, right? And and he loves to remind folks, you know, I, I perceive that you're looking for a savior, right? You have one. His name is Jesus, right? Uh, he he's the one that we find our confidence in, and so we, so we look. There, right? All right. Uh, that means uh, we need to push forward a little bit more, though, too, because uh, uh, we, we do want to bring this back to the, the discussion of Christ himself. So I'm going to continue to push forward here, and at least this opening section on the power and primacy of the Pope, picking up with paragraph four. These three articles, so these three points, uh, in other words, we hold to be false godless, tyrannical, and destructive to the church. All right. So that doesn't get much happier uh, than, <laughs> than, than the talk about the Antichrist, and Antichrist that we just had here. Uh, but but again, we, we can't really walk it back. If it's true, it's true. All right. Um, so hey, push Go but ahead. But for
1: the record, we take no joy and we take no delight in making these claims. If you're listening and you're thinking, wow, these guys are being kind of jerks. Uh, I'm not happy. That we need to make this confession. Uh, I find no pleasure and no joy in this.
0: And if you do, it's sinful and and we
1: need to repent.
2: And there's no benefit to me personally in calling this out and having a soapbox like, oh, look how bad they are over there. That, that doesn't help me at all. And there
0: certainly was no benefit for Papa Melanchthon <laughs> yeah. or Martin Luther uh, in making these claims in their day or the other Lutheran reformers uh, who who are, again, pointing out these errors and and dangers to the church. Um, as a matter of fact, there's great harm to them. I mean, yeah. bounties are put on their head and things of that nature uh, at that time. Um, so, yeah, we we take no joy in this, um, but, but it does need to be pointed out.
1: They and we are committed to confessing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who is the one mediator between God and man. And so we say these things not because we want to throw rocks at other Christians or other people, but because we need to confess scripture and we need to confess Christ. And so that's exactly what we're doing. But please don't take our approach in this that this is something that we are happy about or something that we enjoy. We see this as well, as the statement here says, as destructive to the church. And so when something's destructive, you you need to call it out and address it. And that's the spirit not only that Melanchthon writes in, but the spirit in which we are sharing this is we have we still have some concerns. Things have not changed in the last 500 years. And we need to continue to say, hey, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we still have concerns.
0: Yeah, and and that's you know not not to take us too far afield here, but but you're absolutely right that in, in case you're listening to this and 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 thinking that we are being smug or things like that, we really take no joy. It makes me think of another host of another show here on KFUO, uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, who hosts uh, um, uh, Cross Defense. Sorry, my brain was failing me there for a second. Um, but he also does other things on YouTube and so forth, and he has recently pointed out some errors. Um, in some of his shows um, that uh, are, are present in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the ELCA, um, and, uh, and, and it was pointed out to him that he was quite smug uh, some listeners thought um, in in those things and so forth, and I and I think that he pointed out really well exactly what you just highlighted, really quite clearly for us. We take no joy in this. It, we're not smug in this. We're, we're like we we wish that we didn't have to or point we're out this. Or at least not error.
1: trying
2: to be smug. Yeah, and <laughs> I would and rather. It's the, in this case, I'd be
1: grievous. Th-
0: yeah, and, and and it's the same thing when you know when a pastor has to has to call to repentance one of his parishioners. Or when I have to go to my pastor, a father confessor, right, and and have pointed out my sin and be called to repentance as well, right, um, we we take no joy in this, right? It's grievous, um, but but where there is error, that is in that is in danger to you and, and especially for the church it's destructive they say it really well here and that's a great point to highlight and so um that 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 is that is our goal in this right sorry for hitting my <laughs> microphone there um that's that's not me there's this a is, storm it's thunder yep.
1: this is radio professionalism at its finest
0: Woo! absolutely yeah all right but let's go ahead and get the rest of this uh, opening section here then so i'm just going to read it entirely uh through uh paragraph whatever it is six So that our proof may be better understood, we will first define what they call being above everyone by Quotes here, divine right. I I, I really am regretful that they can't see that I did air quotes, uh, as I said, divine right. (laughs) It's uh, a radio. But uh, it is in quotes. All right. They mean that the Pope is universal, or as they say, he is the ecumenical bishop from whom all bishops and pastors throughout the entire world should seek ordination. So that connects us back again to that uh, part three, article 10 uh, in the small called articles. Uh, He is to have the right of electing, ordaining, confirming, and deposing all bishops. Besides this, he claims for himself the authority to make laws about acts of worship, about changing the sacraments, and about doctrine. He wants his articles, his decrees, and his laws to be considered equal to the divine laws, to other articles of the Christian creed and the Holy Scriptures. In other words... He holds the people's consciences are so bound by the papal laws that those who neglect them, even without public offense, sin mortally. What he adds is even more horrible, namely that it is necessary to believe all these things in order to be saved. I read that and I think, is is this not the pharisaical air (laughs) that that Jesus constantly confronts in, in his day as he walked this earth? I mean, this this is our sinful nature tends to take us in this direction. And we can certainly we, we all have our pharisaical errors at times. Um, but this is one of the big ones, right? You know that we're, we're setting up commandments of men and, you know, the, the papal laws and, and we're binding consciences. And it's just really destructive and really terrible for the church.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what you guys discussed about the Antichrist. I mean, this is the essence of it. If you don't follow the pope, you are going to hell. If you are not in the church that the Pope of which the Pope is the head, then you are going to hell. And that's 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 the bottom line right here. And this is why we say, okay, that talk, that kind of talk, an office that believes that about itself, a person that believes that about himself, that's what it means to be Antichrist.
0: All right. That's it. On that happy note, unfortunately, we have to wrap up the show because we're right at time. We're ending on that. But uh, please come back as we continue to go through this. I mean, this is not a totally happy, uh, you know, document in our Book of Concord, but an important one. And we've highlighted here three points that the Pope claims the right to set himself above all other bishops and pastors in the church. The Pope claims to possess authority in realms both church and state. And the Pope demands that people acknowledge his authority in the church is a requirement for salvation. That's what we've highlighted here. A lot to talk about on all of those three points. So please continue to come on back. Thanks for joining us today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.